Good morning. Did you all get some sleep? Were you all here last night? Did anybody miss it? Don't put your hand up. We won't shame you. If you missed it, it was a great evening. Thank you for the ministry you brought. It was a great evening. And, um, and I'm excited for what God wants to do amongst us over these next few days. And, you know, as um, you were all just praying for me, I heard the Lord whisper in my ear, speak slowly. <laughs> it was really my husband. But, you know, sometimes the two are... <laughs> you know, not separatable. Um, So I'm going to speak as slowly as I can. I think that's really the rules of a Bible study, is it's early in the morning and you need to be gentle and you need to just speak slowly because we are all just waking up after all, aren't we? And um, so I'm going to speak as slowly as possible so that you can get used to this bizarre accent all the way from England. Has anyone need an interpreter already? You're okay so far, so good. (laughs) They're all going, it's fine. Um, Listen, I want to thank you so much for having me. It is an absolute honor to be here um, to serve you, to be part of this event, this event that is beginning to become a habit that you're going to have over these years. It's an honor to serve into Elim. Tim and I have the privilege of leading an Assemblies of God Church um, in the far-flung territory of Watford, just outside London. And um, Assemblies of God and Elim, we're kind of, I don't know if we're described as cousins or sisters, brothers, I don't know what it is. It all sounds a little bit, you know, family. But um, it's good, it's good to serve. God is doing something in Elim. Are you aware God is doing something in Elim? And what a privilege it is to, to come over and serve. And I must say, um, I want to do a big shout out to those in Sligo. Daniel, well, how many are here from Sligo? Who am I meant to know? Oh, yeah, no, I feel like I recognize all of you. I want to thank the people of Sligo. They don't know this, but Sligo people are my heroes. Um, So have you ever had had a really rubbish year? Like, forget a rubbish day, but like a rubbish year. Well, last year for me was not a great year in many ways. It started off, January was a great month. January 2018, I was all guns blazing, and I thought it was going to be really good. And I went to Africa, and... um, (laughs) Do you know, I would love to say that I was doing something really dangerous, like jumping out of an aeroplane. That might be foolish, but um, I'd love to say I was doing something really drastic, but I wasn't. I just was in Africa preaching at a women's conference, danger right there, Um, and as I was preaching, I ruptured my Achilles. Any preachers done that yet? (laughs) Well, anyway, so this was um, in the February, and later on that month, I was due to go to Sligo to do a fantastic ladies' weekend and then preach in the church. But because this Achilles decided to completely and utterly rupture, things like walking were no longer possible. Um, And the thing that the people of Sligo did, which they have no idea, was they waited for me. So I anticipated they would cancel the event. When I, you know, messaged and said, I'm so sorry, I'm in pain, I can't come. I mean, I was a real wreck, you understand. It was was just all messy. But instead of um, just getting someone else to step in or instead of just covering it themselves they waited for me and you will never know how significant that was that you waited for me because I was sat at home in tears thinking my world had ended which I know is a bit dramatic but it was really a nasty injury if you've ever ruptured your Achilles and I'm not an elite sports person I wasn't going to bounce back with miracles of medicine within a week Um, but you waited for me and honestly that did so much for my heart to know that God was saying do you know what Helen life's not over and there is so much more to come. And I don't know if you've ever had one of those incidents where you think, do you know, life is over. I can't keep going. There's not going to be a better day ahead. My best days are behind me. It's just not true. And if you are in a place where you just think, do you know what? 
everything from here is downhill. Nothing can beat what I had in my past. It's just not true. And I, I just want to thank the Sligo crew because when you waited for me, God spoke to me. And so much of my life has changed because of that wait. But because you waited, I was ready to hear. So thank you. You're amazing people. Um, I brought a photo of my family. That's just because I miss them. And just to show that, um, you know, good things do come from people like us. Tim and I are in Ireland. We came over for a few days um, ahead of this conference because yesterday was our 25th wedding anniversary, which is really good fun. So we came over for a few days. And um, have you got that photo of my gorgeous family? Now, this looks like we've had four amazing children. We haven't produced all of them. Let me explain. Um, so on, on the furthest side um, is our son, David. He's my favorite son. And, um, and I'll explain now. You think I hate one of the people in the picture. I don't, but I'll explain. Um, he's my favorite son. He's 14. He's a drummer. And he would love your T-shirt. I just look at that. that you just musicians. Anyway, um, he's, <laughs> so he's, he's my favorite son. Then next is Hannah. She's 16. Now, she, we do GCSEs. Do GCSEs happen here? Is it the same name or is it something different? Something different, but you know what I mean. Tomorrow, she gets her GCSE results. <laughs> so Tim is leaving this afternoon to get home in time to pick her up from a Bible week where she's been staying at midnight. She's picking up tonight um, so that she can go and get her results tomorrow. I'm staying in Ireland till it's safe. Um, then I'm going home. She's at a beautiful age, actually. She's, so she's 16. And we're just at the stage when she and I can share clothes. So this, we've shared clothes. We've shared this. The only trouble with this is, you know, for one of us, it's a top. For one of us, it's a dress. Um, between both of us, neither of us can afford the sleeves, but um, she's, <laughs> she's at a great age. We have no idea what the world is going to be like in Watford from tomorrow. Pray for Tim, nine o'clock tomorrow morning. Dear Lord, come now. Um, the next is Bethany. She's our favorite eldest. Um, she's um, at Nottingham University. And the bloke that she's leaning in on rather lovingly, as you can see, just trying to lean away from the rest of them, <laughs> is her fiancé. Um, so we're adopting him in. I don't know how, I don't know if I can have a favorite son-in-law because we might get another one. So I've got to work out how to favorite. He could just be my favorite Theo. Um, but they're getting married next summer. Pray for us. Pray for us. We're praying for them that God does something in their marriage um, that is amazing because you know every marriage needs God in it, right? And um, they're good. And then, then there's me in case you can't recognize me. Um, and then there's Tim. He's my favorite husband. Now I will say... <laughs> Now, you will know this. If you've been married, you will have had several versions of your partner, right? Because we all change, and you've changed, and your partner's changed. I quite like the version now, which scares me, because you know when there's going to be an upgrade? It's like, well, if I don't like the upgrade, what if I don't know how to work it? <laughs> but like this. We were in Omar. <laughs> okay. So a couple of days ago, we've got some friends from Northern Ireland, and um, we persuaded them. Um, well, it didn't take much persuasion. They are friends. They do like us. Um, anyway, to meet. And we decided, us coming from Monaghan, them coming from... London Derry, 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 London Derry, um, that we were going to meet in Amar. It's not quite in the middle, but it was their idea. Anyway, we were in this cafe, and Tim and I got there first. We didn't have as far to travel. We got there first, and we were sitting in this cafe, and um, we decided to get the chairs ready for our friend's arrival. So me being me, just decided to rearrange the furniture and just switch out a chair with a stool, which involved me standing up, which involved the lady next to us sitting there, observing that I was taller than she thought I was when I was sitting down, which does happen when you stand up, you do get taller. But for her, this was revelation. She's like, oh, aren't you tall? But she said it in your beautiful accent, not mine. Oh, aren't you tall? And then she said this, you're nearly as tall as your boyfriend. Now, at this point, my husband of 25 years suddenly got all perky. And he was like, oh. 
I'm your boyfriend. And he got more excited about the thought of being my boyfriend than he's ever been about being my husband. He was like so wrong. All day, all day. We share this with our friends. Then all the rest of the evening, where's your boyfriend going to sit? Is your boyfriend coming? All evening. And I tell you, look at him now. If you could see his face. <laughs> he is more excited at the thought of being my boyfriend than my husband. Anyway, so that's my boyfriend. Um, you should go to his <laughs> seminar later. And me and my boyfriend, we have written some books. <laughs> I've brought them. Apparently, we're doing a book signing at one. That's exciting, isn't it? Which means we're just signing books for each other, unless you come along. I've got them here. I'm just going to tell you about them. Listen, I don't want to just suddenly become a salesperson, but we brought them because we think they will help you. So Tim's book, I so want to do jokes about your book. It would be wrong, though, wouldn't it? Um, Tim started, no, they go, no, tell us a joke. I'll tell you a story about his book in a minute. Um, Tim's, Tim started the writing thing in our family, The Power of One. It's an excellent book on unity. And you know, when we look at the world as it currently is, don't we need more unity in our families, in our governments, in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities? This book has something to say um, on this, and I think it will help you. And if you want, he'll sign it. He's only here till this afternoon. Uh, I don't know what it does to the value signed it. It's, it's a pain for giving it away, but... <laughs> um, the power of one. I'll tell you a story. The day that Tim's books arrived in our office, because we got this dispatch book, we got all these boxes of books came in. Um, the day they arrived, I got an email from a publisher rejecting my first book. <laughs> I was not bitter or twisted. But nor did I tell Tim for several weeks. I couldn't bear to tell him because he was so excited that his book was in. And the church was like, oh, the book's in. We're all so excited. And first baby, first book, you know, we were all extra excited. So I was just shriveling up in the corner, getting all bitter and twisty and disappointed. But I can't write a book. Um, but that book did eventually come out. And I tell you that simply to say, sometimes things don't go as planned. But if God's put something in your heart, press on. If there are some writers in here, some dancers in here, some performers in here, some doctors in here, some put in what is your destiny. And if you've had a kickback and a knockback, um, don't give up. Press on to what God has called you to do because who knows what is around the corner. Um, Tim and I wrote a book together. This is the one that I started out that got rejected. We had to press really deep for this book. This is called No More Friendly Fire. You know, friendly fire is when a team turns against each other. And you end up wounding your team member when you meant to wound the enemy. You wound yourself instead. And um, this is looking at the gender war in the church. It talks about our story, about what it is to discover gift before gender, and what it is to press into what God has called you to do and who God has called you to be. Um, and it is for all people, male, female. It's all, all people to understand how we can be children of God, gift before gender, how we can be biblically correct, not modern Christians, but biblically correct Christians, how we can look at those difficult scriptures and understand what did Paul really mean when he said women shouldn't preach. You can read that to understand why I'm standing here later. <laughs> then I've written three devotionals. Now, I don't know about you, but the word of God is very, very important to me. But there have been times in my life where I've struggled to get a healthy habit where I've struggled to get into a daily discipline. Does anyone understand what I mean about that? Where you just don't get a daily discipline. These are 40 days in each book. Be Victorious was my starting point. And um, that was about 40 days in the wilderness with Jesus, 
and looking at how he used the word of God as a weapon to defeat the enemy. Have you ever used the word of God as a weapon? This is all about that. Then there's be fruitful, how to be fruitful in every season and be joyful. Um, You've got to love a bit of joy. And in fact, that's part of um, the message of this week is to discover more joy. Anyway, those books are there for you. There's some amazing price deals and all that stuff. You can look at that later. But we bought them because we believe they will help you. All the money goes to our church. Thank you for investing in Watford (laughs) in advance. But we bought them because they would help you. And we don't want to take them back with us. But we're going to come now to the best book of all. And for the next few minutes, we're going to lean into the Word of God and see if there's something from the Scriptures that was relevant in a context and a time and a day and see how that Scripture can make a difference in our day-to-day. Because we can look at these books as history because they have a context, they have an origin, they have a time and a place for which the author of the time was writing. But because, as we understand from Um, The book of Timothy, they are God-breathed, they are God-inspired, and they are useful to tell us things. I believe that the next few minutes that we spend in the Word of God should be useful to us. They should make a difference to us. So who's up for that? Some of us? Others of you going, maybe? We'll see. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your Word. I want to thank you that it was written and captured for all times. I thank you that you've got something to say to us. Lord, some of us have read the word many, many times and are really familiar with it, and others of us are coming new. Lord, I pray for all of us, we would receive something fresh. All of us, this time leaning into the word, would count your glory, and for your purposes. Amen. Okay, so this week we're looking at flow, and there's a phrase, um, if you go to the next slide, there you go. Now, at one point on one of the communications, it's called the art of flow, and I grabbed this because I liked the idea of the art because of just something that's being creative and created in us. And these different phrases have been used. In fairness, other phrases have been used, in the program that we could um, lean into. Um, So we could live powerful, we could live powerfully, or we could have powerful livers, depending on what you've read. Um, (laughs) I'm with all of it. I I think we need to be physically healthy. Um, But we, we captured live powerful here. Create ease. Oh my gosh, who wants an easier life? Oh, thank you, Jesus, that that's even an option. Um, and cultivate joy. These are the phrases that have kind of been hallmarked into these three days. And just to give you a heads up, what um, I'm going to be doing is a Bible study today and tomorrow. We're going to crack on soon, I promise. Today and tomorrow morning. And then this evening, there's a standalone message. But today and tomorrow mornings, they're going to talk to each other a little bit because we're going to be using um, the same book. So there's continuity. Like I say, tomorrow is something different. Although if this morning goes horribly wrong, there'll be a change of plan by this evening as <laughs> Because on the program, it's not me tomorrow evening. But you'll, you'll figure that out when I don't stand up. But if I don't stand up this evening, it's because I didn't get through this round, all right? This is, <laughs> this is a test. Okay, so if you've got your Bibles well done, get them out now. It will come up on the screen. But I just think it's always really good to look at the real thing. And we're going to be looking at Nehemiah. 
Over the next two days, we're going to be looking at two different chapters in the book of Nehemiah. And um, we're just going to jump in today at Nehemiah 2. So before I jump into Nehemiah 2, let me put in a bit of context, just in case you've not heard of Nehemiah. And I'll talk long enough for you to find where Nehemiah is. Who panicked when Samuel was our thing? It moved in my Bible. It's like, oh my gosh, it's gone last night. But so as you find Nehemiah, it's in the Old Testament. ABC, no, it doesn't work that easily. Um, When you get to Nehemiah, stop. So Nehemiah um, was an Israelite. He was... um, a follower of God. He loved Yahweh, as he would have called him. And he was one of the many people who had to flee for safety, who was shoved out for, for, um, in the Babylonian crisis, and he was living in a land far away. If you were in the youth group last night, you will have heard Tim reference about Jeremiah, where he said, you know, when you're in the land of the exile, root in, build homes, marry, have children, You remember it from last night? Well, this is a similar context. Nehemiah was living in exile, and he had rooted in, and he'd made life as best he could. And he had a job as a cupbearer or a wine taster um, for King Artaxerxes, um, which sounds, well, the king's name sounds a bit dodgy for starters, but the job sounds relatively nice. He's just drinking wine, which for some of us, that, you know, wouldn't be a difficult job to have. But we have to understand what he was not doing was just sipping, you know, and swilling and spitting it out. He wasn't just tasting it to say, hmm, nice vintage. He was putting his life on the line every day because he was basically checking to see whether the king was being poisoned. Because if he dropped dead, the king was not going to eat or drink what was set out on the table that day. So Nehemiah was putting his life on the line. The character of the man was one who would lay his life down for somebody else. And this caught the attention of the Lord. You know, the Lord always sees the intentions behind our actions. He sees the selfless act that you do. He sees what you do for your family that nobody else sees. He sees. And he was observing Nehemiah. Anyway, Nehemiah had visits from one of his brothers. And his brother had gone back to Jerusalem because many of the remnant Israelites were returning to Jerusalem. And he basically said to his brother, how are you doing? How's everything back home? Have you ever wished you didn't ask a question? You know, when you say to someone, how are you? And they really tell you. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't have time. Why did I even ask? But so here was Nehemiah asking his brother, how's everything back home? And his brother was like, It's awful. It's awful. So we've got people returning, but the city is in ruins. And significantly, the walls around the city are in ruins. Now, in our political day, we don't like to talk about walls without getting all like... But this was a different type of wall. Um, This was a wall that protected God's people, that would enable trade because people could come in and out rather than just climb over and steal. Um, It would enable a safety, which was very important in those days. Oh, maybe it's a bit similar to the political claims. We won't go there. We won't go there. Reel that back. Um, So Nehemiah was hearing that Jerusalem was in utter ruins. You know, when you know a piece of information, you have a responsibility with what you do with it. Well, here, Nehemiah suddenly became burdened with what he knew. And we're going to jump in now at chapter 2. And I'm just going to read a few chunks, and then we're going to pause, and I'll bring you some thoughts. So chapter 2, verse 1. I'm reading from the NLT. 
Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me, which is always good for the king in the conditions of the job. You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. You could die from looking sad in front of the king. So he was terrified suddenly. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, if it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please, Give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. And the king granted those requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. We're going to just pause there. Okay, just a few things to note in this. What I want to do is I want to look at it in context, but I want you to constantly be drawing out, and God, what are you saying to me? God, what are you saying to me? Because the Holy Spirit wants to breathe through these words. Take them from context and bring them right up to date. So here we have um, Nehemiah doing his job, but looking sad. We heard this last night, didn't we? Um, As Johnny was encouraging us to recognize the significance of being pourable, pouring ourselves out in an authentic response to the Lord. We struggle in our times now to be authentic. Definitely people who are into selfies. Anybody here like a good selfie? Okay, there's a selfie. Even, I'm not going to pull, don't pull the picture of my family up. If you look at us, we're doing a selfie. Obviously, Tim has the longest arm, so it was his camera. Um, But all of us, you go into, so my generation, you just tip your head. (laughs) That's about as good as we get. The younger, okay, where are some younger people? Have they all left already? You can represent the younger people. Is it not true? This is the face. The mouth has to go wider than it would naturally go, as as if you're just really shocked and really happy at the same time. And you can watch people. They can be sitting in a store, a cafe, out by a bus stop, looking like, you know, as miserable as day, and suddenly... And then they get back on with their business. There's a thing. We fake it. We are presenting images all the time. Are we not? We are presenting images all the time, but you know, God can't fix what we fake. He's calling us into authenticity, and the authenticity in Nehemiah was called out by the king. Now, this could have cost him his life, but don't we think that? If people knew the real me, they'd kill me? Not literally, unless you're in a really rough area, but you know, we, we think people will not like us if they know the real us. So we fake it, right? Okay, in England, we fake it. You, you're already there. I'm going to learn from you. Nehemiah was being called out because he was looking sad. 
And the king says, what is going on? Now, the beautiful thing is with Nehemiah, he wasn't just sad about his own life. He was burdened by the cause of others. His ancestors who were buried, but the people who were living there now, he was burdened for them. Now, we have a challenge. We live in the swipe generation. By that, I mean we can scroll and scroll and scroll, and as soon as we don't like something on our feed, we swipe it off. I don't like that news article. Oh, it makes me really uncomfortable. I'm going to the next one. We are full of infotainment. We go down our our feeds. We go down Facebook. And you'd think I don't like social media. I do like social media. Just use it wisely, folks. But we can go down our social media and somebody's talking about their dead dog. Somebody's talking about their dead grandmother. Somebody's talking about their job promo. And we go all the way through these. Fine, fine, fine. And we've been infotained. And we do that with the news. We get infotained, don't we? But Nehemiah heard a story that broke his heart and caused him to want to be part of a solution, but he didn't know how. But notice the king's response, his first response to Nehemiah's burden. Nehemiah wasn't asking to go at this stage. He wasn't asking for help. He was just saying, I'm burdened by a situation. The king's first response to his burden was, what can I do to help you? What can I do to help you? Because the king knew there was a burden on this man that became his responsibility. And the king was then positioning himself to serve the one who served him. There is going to come a time when people we are serving will serve the purposes of the Lord. They will partner with us. There'll be civic partnerships. There will be partnerships across town. There'll be partnerships from responsibilities who don't know the Lord, who are signing up to serve the Lord's purposes because they see a burden in a person and they want to help. So here we had Nehemiah, burdened, and he recognized something. Just at the end of that section that I read, he recognized that the king opened his hand to Nehemiah in support because the Lord's hand was on Nehemiah. The king opened his hands in support and resource because the Lord's hand was on Nehemiah. When the Lord's hand is on us, we can expect much. But I love, did you catch the bit where the king is saying, what can I do to help? And this sudden bit where Nehemiah shows that he's just like us, he's doing this arrow prayer. Have you ever done this? Like, oh Lord, help me now. He just shoots up this prayer to heaven and says, what I need is this. This is when Paul says, pray at all times. This is what I think it means. There are those extended times when we're pouring out. There are those extended times of response. There are those extended times in our quiet times. And then there are also times when it's just like breathing. Lord, help me now. Nehemiah did one of those prayers and that inspires me. We can keep praying at all times if we pray like this. And he praised pressed in to request, release, and resources. Now, notice something about Nehemiah. He had rooted into his life. He had a job. He had settled into his role. Whether or not he was there under initial choice, he'd made it a place to serve. Even if he was kind of in slavery, he'd made it a place to serve. But he remained repositionable by the Lord. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in places we might not have felt that we chose to get. Or we find ourselves in places we did choose to get. And we root in so much that we are so entrenched, we are immovable, 
by the Lord. So when the Lord says, but I want you to go and speak to these people, well, I couldn't possibly because these are my people. Well, I want you to go and serve in this town. Well, I couldn't possibly because this is my town. Well, I want you to go for this job because I need you with these people groups. Well, I couldn't possibly because this is my people group. Ever been there? The Lord is calling us and inviting us into an adventure which involves movement. Because the hand of the Lord was on Nehemiah, he had a confidence to know that favor would most likely come from people. Do you remember in Luke's gospel when Jesus was described as a small boy growing up? It said in Luke 2.52, he grew with wisdom and stature and favor with God and with people. When we seek God's favor first, we can anticipate that everything else will be looked after in the right appropriate way and we will get the provision we need. We will get the support we need. When we seek the provision and the favor of people first, we cannot anticipate the favor of God will follow because the favor of God leads and the favor of people must follow. But we live in a culture of likes. Here's my photo, will you like me? Here's my statement, will you like me? Here's my job, will you like me? Will I get your approval? Please like me, please follow me, please do this. Do you understand? And God is saying, favor from me first will bring the favor you need from people in order to do the purposes that I've put in you. So let's jump back into um, the story. We got up to, I think, verse 8. So verse 9, we'll go through to verse 15. Nehemiah had been given the money, he'd been given the support, and he says this, When I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. But when Sanballat the Heronite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. So I arrived in Jerusalem three days later. I slipped out during the night. Oh, sorry, I put the comma in the wrong place. Three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. After dark, I went through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, and over to the dung gate to inspect broken walls and burned gates. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So, though it was still dark, I went up to the Kidron Valley instead inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. Okay, so let's pause there. So he'd asked for a certain amount of resources and got even greater measure. You know, God cannot be outgiven. When we give everything to God, we will not ever be able to outgive him. So here he was yet again surprising one of his kids, Nehemiah, and saying, okay, I'm also going to protect you, which was useful because all the enemies of Israelites came out muttering, disgruntled, like, I can't believe the Israelites are getting help. This is ridiculous. And they were all really, really grumpy. And then Nehemiah models something for us, something which I believe could change a lot of our situations if we could grasp. He discovered God's privacy settings. You know when you have an inkling about something? You have a certain revelation. You hear something about a person or about God or situation. How keen we are to tell someone. Oh my gosh, you'll never guess what happened. 
Oh my gosh, you'll never guess what I heard. And we're keen to tell. Well, Nehemiah had discovered something about God's privacy settings and he didn't tell a single person what God had put in his heart because the time wasn't right. My friends, if we could learn timing under the instruction of the Holy Spirit, there would be an awakening amongst us of disproportionate amounts because he stayed under the radar. He stayed in a place of learning, of observing, of forming strategy, of seeing around without telling anyone what he was looking at. So nobody added the filters. Nobody moved around the furniture. Nobody changed what he was looking at to make it look worse or better or anything. He just could go and see. Do you remember when Mary observed the situations with her boy Jesus? And again, it's in Luke's gospel. Different versions say different. Sometimes they say she pondered these things. She treasured these things in her heart. We need to learn to treasure things to treasure what God reveals, to hold it carefully as if it's really, really precious until such a time when it makes sense for the Lord to say, and now talk about it. Nehemiah knew God's privacy settings and he went out on stealth to have a look around. Just look to just see. There are people here who have got burdens for different situations and the Lord wants to encourage you. Go and look, research, check it out. Don't announce something, just start looking into it and researching it. And so Nehemiah was able to do this, but notice what happened when he came to this one bit by the king's pool and his donkey got stuck and the rubble was too big. Now, I love this, but this is potentially a little digression, but I love this. The king's pool. So a little bit of history around the king's pool. King Hezekiah built this pool as a means of kind of getting resources and water for um, the Israelites and prohibiting the enemies to get it. But this is the very pool that is now contested right by the rubble and it's all been, you know, hijacked back. Later on in the Gospels, this is the pool. Remember that healing miracle that Jesus did for the blind man and he put mud on the blind man's eyes and he said, now go wash the mud off. And when he washed the mud off, he could see. Well, he washed the mud off in this pool that Nehemiah is soon to restore. So in this place that Nehemiah was just looking at was going to become a place where somebody else was going to get their sight. Nehemiah didn't know that, but he had the future generations in his mind. He wanted to honor the ancestors, but he was building for what was to come. And there was going to be sight restored to a man in the very place that he was looking at on that evening. Don't you think that's cool? I think that's cool. But notice the point. The donkey couldn't get past the rubble. Now, here's a challenge for all of us. This rubble was not Nehemiah's rubble. Nehemiah hadn't put it there. Nehemiah hadn't bombed the gates. Well, they didn't have bombs. Nehemiah didn't crash the gates. He didn't create the rubble. He was coming to someone else's rubble that was in the path of the way that he was trying to go in order to fulfill what the Lord had put on his life. But he came to this place and someone else's rubble was there. I need to calm down. This is a Bible study, not the evening. Just realize. I'm too excited. It's not the evening. I'll bring it down. This rubble was not his rubble. How many times... Do we stop what we're doing because somebody else's junk gets in our way? Someone else's chaos pushes us off track. When Paul says, you are running the race so well, 
What came in on you? What did you allow to trip you up? What came in and got in your way? Often it's someone else's rubble. But Nehemiah didn't stop. He didn't get off his donkey, he didn't kill the donkey. Just rerouted. And what he did when he rerouted was he was able to see even more of the area that the Lord was calling him to bring restoration to. So at this point, I would like to challenge you, what gets in your way and stops you? Because the Lord is inviting you to keep starting on, reroute. Several years ago, our family went on a holiday. And um, if you're in the youth session, you'll know that Tim is actually of American origin. He hides it very well. Um, but he's of American origin. And we went um, back to America on a family holiday, and we were just touring all of his relatives and just having the best time on holiday. It is my calling, actually, to be on holiday, I'd just like to say. Um, but anyway, so we were on holiday, and we went to the Grand Canyon. Has anyone ever been there? It's like, oh, my gosh, like this is like a big hole, and you just can't help but worship God when you see this big hole. Who knew that a hole in the ground could be so worshipful? But you just look, it's just this amazing place just incredible. And this is the first time we'd ever been there. And so this was 2014, we were there. So our kids would just work out the maths younger than what I showed you on that picture. And um, one of our children, I won't say which one, but it's the one who wears my clothes, um, was um, not particularly um, keen on a certain walk. But we decided we were going to walk some of the Grand Canyon. Now, it's a, it's a, it's a big hole, okay? It goes like a long way down. So we were just going to walk for an hour down, which meant, you know, about a centimetre on the map. Like, we really weren't going far at all. And um, so we were on our centimetre trail for an hour down. And what goes down in the Grand Canyon has to come up or die. Like, one of the choices is, like, you stay down there. There's not, it's not pretty. Um, you've got to come up. So we, we went. But we'd taken all of the guide's advice very seriously. And the guide's advice was drink when thirsty, only when thirsty, or you will die. And eat salty snacks or you will die. Like, honestly, it was really dramatic. So we were like, we were braced ourselves. We had our backpacks on with enough water that we could, you know, hydrate to thirst so we didn't die. And we had salty snacks so we didn't die. And we went off on this walk. And it was fine when we were going down. It's a little bit slippy. Um, you know, but I didn't know things like ruptures could happen. So we were fearless at this stage. If we went now, my gosh, we'd be terrified. But anyway, we were walking down and we got to our break point. We had our, some salty snacks, uh, only enough drink to hydrate. No more, no more, you'll die. <laughs> and then we decided we had to walk up again. Well, we didn't decide. That was the only thing we had to do because, you know, we weren't going to camp there. We're from Britain. Um, so we, we had to go up. And at this point... We had two choices. We could either love our daughter through the experience we were going to share, or we could shove her off the cliff. And the latter really wasn't an option, although some in the family were tempted. But what kept happening, <laughs> what kept happening, this is, this is how it went. You know, a few steps, I can't do it. And she would just stop, like with no notice, just stop. And it's like, yes, you can. And then you go through all the negotiating. There's like, come on. And we would do this. And in the end, our eldest, who she'd brought her jazz hands out, all the songs she knew, you know, she was doing everything to entertain. It wasn't working. So she and my son and my boyfriend <laughs> left to hike up at a reasonable pace. Me, you know, my maternalness being the one who probably wouldn't throw her off the cliff. So this is what we did. I walked with my hand out like this, sort of at the right height to just get the back of her back 
And so every time she stopped, bless her, every time she stopped, my hammer go, just keep starting. <laughs> and the whole way, we got her up, and the whole way, just keep starting, just keep starting. I need to stop. No, just start. I need to stop. No, just start. No, just start. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. Eventually, we made it to the top simply by just keeping starting. When Nehemiah hit this rubble, he just needed to start again. When you hit the rubble, don't stop. Just start again. Reroute, reroute, reroute. Start again. Because God has not finished with you yet. If you have a pulse, if you have a breath, just keep starting. Let's jump back into the story because I really want to finish chapter 2. Okay, verse 16, I think. Sounds good enough to me. 16 to the end. The city officials did not know I had been out there. I love that. Or what I was doing. For I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now, I said to them, see, the timing is right. He's seen everything that he needed to see. He's got the strategy downloaded from heaven. It's crystal clear in his mind what needs to happen. And now, he says, and this is what he says, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them, about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Jeshem, the, the Arab, heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked. I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding the wall, but you will have no share, legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. <laughs> you know, don't take any responsibilities. You will have no rights. Rights always come with responsibilities. As Nehemiah so graciously pointed out to the scoffing people. Here we have the idea that God had put a plan into the heart of a person that was going to require the hearts of many people to find their part in the plan. Chapter 3, which we're not going to look at, is a who's who of who got involved. Men and women, children, young, old, families. Every single person was needed to get this done. Every single person had a part to play. And although the vision came into the heart of one person, everybody needed to be able to find that part in serving that vision to see God's will be done. You see, often we look at this and we relate to Nehemiah. Oh, I'll be Nehemiah. I'll have this vision. That'll be fine. I'll rebuild this. But what if we're the people responding to the vision of another person? You see, we cannot rebuild the city walls if we don't join into a vision that God puts on to a person or to a church or to a community. We're called to serve and find our part in a bigger plan. And here, Nehemiah just says what the people knew. He didn't say anything. They didn't go, oh my gosh, we'd not noticed. Why didn't someone tell us the walls were all knocked down? Why didn't someone tell us this was all a mess? It's not a mess around here. I shouldn't look at actual buildings, should I? It's beautiful here. But they were being told something they knew. The difference is they were being told the gracious hand of God is upon me and I can see a way through this because the Lord has shown us what we can do. To that, who's in? Yes, they go. Yes, they go. Yes, they go. 
And then the mockery begins. Now we're going to um, pause this story. We're going to pause the story at the point of faith that Nehemiah had that said the Lord will help us succeed. We're going to pause this story at the place of hard work just about to happen. Because you see, when we get a vision for something, when God puts something in our hearts, we have a responsibility to treasure that. To ponder it. To look at it from all angles, to see what God wants us to see, to hear what God wants us to hear. And from that place, he will begin to give us strategy. He will begin to give us clues, keys, if you like, for the way forward. But where we're going to pause is at this revelation that it was going to be the Lord's success that would bring it about. Nehemiah did not set himself up for, you will never guess the amazing work we're going to do. He looked at the human need and at the heavenly solution. The restoration that was going to come. The refreshing that was going to come was going to be down to the Lord. So we're going to pause this story here because otherwise um, I, I ruin the timing for the whole day. Before we finish, I want to pray. I believe that there are some people in these next few days who are going to become aware of burdens in cities and villages and towns. I believe there are some people here, leaders, on the basis that we're all leaders, who are going to recognize that you've been carrying a burden for a people group or a situation. And God wants to show you something more about it. I also believe God wants to call us as people to care more. To care more for the situations around us. To dare to care. To dare to care to such an extent that the information and the the burden that we have, that we will take that as a responsibility to say to the Lord, what do you want me to do about it? It might be in your city or town, a need. It might be something that's going on in your church. It might be something that's going on in your family that up until now you've known about, but you've happily kind of just left that there. The Lord is saying, would you dare to care? Yesterday we were um, in our hotel room, me and my boyfriend, and, um, oh, that just sounds wrong. Is this recorded? I really hope they listen to the beginning if that was... Otherwise, it's like, oh my gosh. She, anyway, the story. There was, um, there was this little girl. I think she was a girl. That sounds wrong as well. I just heard her, and in my mind, she was a girl. But there's this little girl on the playground that's just outside um, and downstairs of our room. And um, I heard her talking to her daddy. And she goes, Daddy, I'm going to be brave. Daddy, I'm really going to try to be brave. And obviously, she wanted to do something on the climbing brain. And my dad was like, oh, I don't know. You might do it. Um, and she was like, no, I'm going to be really brave. And that's our heart that the Lord wants. He's there to catch us. He's there to help us. He's there to cheer us on. 
But actually, he's calling his kids. And all we need to say, Daddy, I'm going to try to be brave. Because I believe that's what Nehemiah did when he shot that arrow prayer up to heaven. Lord, I'm going to try to be brave right now. My people need help. You dare to be brave. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here. Thank you, Lord, for your living word. I thank you for the story of Nehemiah. That, that, gosh, there's so much in that book that we could learn from. There's so much, so, so much. And I thank you for that rich, layered book. Thank you that your Holy Spirit still breathes through your scriptures. And as much as it's an amazing account of history, it's actually an account of the future too that's still unwritten. And Lord, I pray for every person here. I pray for every family that's represented here. I pray for every community that's represented here. I pray for every Elim church that's represented here. I pray for every single person in Ireland that's represented here. Would you make us brave? Brave enough to acknowledge what we see and what we hear. Brave enough to recognize that burdens bring responsibilities. Brave enough to realize if it's your plan, it will come to fruition because of your success. For the rest of the day, in our conversations, in our seminars, in our fellowship. Let your will be done. Your glory. Amen.